Hello, everyone. So glad you're joining us this morning or whenever you'll be watching this service. Hard to believe this is is our 10th consecutive church online service. Glad you're here. This is the last in our series, Let Go, for five weeks post-Easter. We've been inviting, challenging all of you to let go. Let go of fear. Let go of regret. Let go of control. Last week, to let go of hurry. And today, we're going to ask you to let go of comparing. Let go of comparing. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John chapter 3. We'll get there in a little bit. John chapter 3, we'll get there closer to the end. But I want us to I want you to know a verse. I'm going to give you a memory verse this week. You might even have it down by the end of this message. Uh, Proverbs 14 and verse 30 says that a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. One more time. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. As we talk about comparison, that is one of the results of it. Now, let's set the the scorecard here. Comparison is healthy, helpful, and inevitable in some respects. It's how we learn. It's how kids learn. It's how uh, adults learn. We're able to know that box A is bigger than box B, or a cheetah runs faster uh, than a turtle. Uh, Very recently, I learned when buying jewelry for my wife that they have better deals at Dollar General than at, say, Tiffany's. So comparison is healthy. It's a part of life. It's helpful and inevitable. But there's a comparison that is a indoor no-win sport. How many of you, like the five in my family, are looking forward to sports resuming? Uh, we watched, we've been watching some UFC fighting. I caught Susan the other night watching a seed-spitting contest from Michigan. Big men with beards and overalls were seeing how far they could spit certain seeds. It was competitive. It was hilarious that Susan was even watching that. If you see Susan or text her today, if you have her number, and say, Susan, were you really watching that seed-spitting competition? Well, we want sports back, don't we? There's competition and competitiveness and thus comparison that's healthy and inevitable and good. It's a good thing. But there can be a comparison that leads us down dark paths. A comparison that, again, as I said, is an indoor sport where there is no winner. Uh, When you play a sport, we're looking forward to watching competition again. There will be a winner and a loser in business and ministry and all, all avenues of life, we are all looking for a win-win scenario. But when we go down the path, the trap of comparison, it always, maybe not immediately, but eventually it leads to lose-lose. In fact, I'll tell you this morning that there are three, uh, three areas where we go to when we're comparing ourselves with others. Envy, as we've mentioned, but also exhaustion and a land of err. You see, E-R, er, someone is always richer-er, or prettier-er, or smarter-er, or happier-er, or hipper-er. Someone is always skinnier-er, or taller-er. Someone is married-er, more. Someone is always more-er than you in some category. And we can wear ourselves out with envy and exhaustion. When we fall into the trap of comparison, we end up in a place of envy, a state of exhaustion, a land of-er. Do you know that I'm guilty as well? 
comparing can inflict everybody. I remember several years ago, I was at a pastor's conference, and in between a main session and a breakout session, I was with a couple of pastors I barely knew. We were enjoying some small conversation over coffee, and one of the men asked the others of us, he said, how's your church going? And many of you don't know this, how's your church going is pastor talk for how many are you running? And one guy said, well, we're about at 1,000. The second guy said, we're about 1,200. And in that moment, I thought, you know, I should say something to really impress them. Maybe inflate a big number so that I could gain their respect. Maybe they thought they were hanging out with somebody a little more important. You know how your mind works, right? And then I thought, Robert, why? Why would you do that? Why would you sacrifice your integrity uh, to gain somebody's approval, somebody you probably never see again, uh, somebody you don't know? And so I said to them, I said, well, we're running about 2,500. Yeah, I figured if you're going to sacrifice your integrity, right, you might as well go big. We live in that land, don't we? Someone's always bigger, better, richer, poorer, or not poorer, but prettier, skinnier, all that. And we can be inflicted with that. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. When we fall into the trap of comparison, it leads us to a place of envy, of exhaustion. We end up in the land of Ur. I want to give three stories, brief, I'm going to make them brief, but call your attention to them. We'll put some of the passages on the screen, but I'm going to give you three stories from the Bible. You may or may not know these stories, but we see that falsehood, deception, and comparison goes back deep, and it just, it's just weaved through the entire human race. Many of you know that the first sin recorded for us in the Bible in human history was uh, Adam and Eve, a couple, and of course they ate of the forbidden fruit. The second sin recorded for us is also a duo, a pair, but not husband and wife. It was brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain was born first, Abel came second, and Cain worked the soil, and Abel kept the flock. Both brothers, similar jobs, working together with a family farm. And it came time to give an offering. And Genesis 4 tells us that Abel gave an offering that was pleasing to the Lord. He gave of first fruits. He gave of firstborn calves. Scripture, when it talks about money, when it talks about resources and possessions, it invites us to a life of generosity. It's what the church should be about. It was what we should be about, uh, living our lives in giving and generosity, not giving God the leftovers that doesn't please him, but giving him off the top, being generous from the beginning to train our hearts towards generosity, more and more generosity. And Abel did that. And guess what? Abel had joy, but Cain, the older brother, he gave, but he gave begrudgingly. And he found out that the Lord wasn't pleased with this. Look, if you will, at Genesis chapter 4 and this Cain and Abel story. Genesis 4, 3 to 8. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from, the sum, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel in his offering, but Cain, on his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. 
while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Falsehood, deception, comparison goes back as far as the beginning of human history. Some of you uh, hear me say this often, but if you're looking for uh, brokenness and dysfunction and just messed up reality TV, look at the stories of the Bible. And we see this. So when Cain looked to God, God says, God asked him, why are you angry and why are you downcast? And did you see Cain's response, this older brother who was bitter, he was comparing himself with his younger brother, Abel. He didn't respond to the Lord. Did you hear that? He didn't respond to the Lord, but he looked the other way and he looked at his brother, Abel. And Abel had joy. Abel was living in generosity, prioritizing, seeing God as a provider. And he had joy. And this joy grated on Cain. And he began to look at his brother very differently. You know what he did? He did what everybody does before a crime scene. He dehumanized his brother. He looked away and he dehumanized him. And then the deception, when he didn't see his brother as being a brother, when he didn't see the inherent worth, dignity, and value of that life, as he dehumanized him, you see the pattern of deception, calling him out to a field and the resultant murder. Comparison, falsehood, and deception can run very deep and can end up in very ugly, dark places. A second story is a story of King Saul and a young warrior named David. First Samuel chapter nine and verse two tells us that, that this king was tall. In fact, he was a head over everybody, a head length over everybody in the land. He was very handsome. He was tall. He was handsome. Because of his ethnicity, we can probably say he was dark. Maybe this is where we learn about tall, dark, and handsome, of which I am none. But I'm not gonna compare because it'll depress me the rest of this sermon. But hey, here is King Saul, tall, dark, and handsome. He had the kingdom. He was the man. He could look down on others in many ways, but there is a young warrior named David. And in this story, let's look at it in 1 Samuel 18, verses three through six. 1 Samuel 18. And we'll check that. I'm reading 1 Samuel 18, verses six through nine. When the victorious, victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. The Hebrew language was physical. It, um, it gave beautiful metaphors, and we see that in the original language. And for some versions, like the NLT I read from, we see it here that, that King Saul, it didn't just say he was jealous. Did you notice this? It said he kept a jealous eye on David. You see, that's what envy and jealousy does. That's what a life of falling into the trap of comparison does for us. We look at people differently. I no longer see a brother. I no longer see a colleague. I no longer see someone on my team. What do I see? I see someone who might, who has or is gaining what I want. He had a jealous eye. Can I ask you today, if you're in comparison, if you're in that trap, is it, has it led you to envy, to exhaustion, to the land of Ur, where someone has what you want? They've got what I want. And in this case, for King Saul, he was threatened. If I could go back in time, I would have said to him, hey, King Saul, you're the king. You're tall, you're dark, 
you're handsome, you are that. And David is a warrior. You know what? He's war- your warrior. And when you go into battle, when David wins, Saul, you win. But you know what envy does? It changes the scorecard. It puts us in a place where we forget and we see this powerful man's big insecurity. We see someone rich and powerful and we see it in our day all around us. Someone rich and powerful who feels threatened and they're afraid that their kingdom will be replaced. That's the path of comparison and we have to be careful. A third story that I wanna give to you this morning, it's a story of that's, that's better. It's another story and it's a much richer, deeper story. And it's the story of a man named John the Baptist. John the Baptist, when he showed up on the scene, he told people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is coming. When he first saw Jesus, John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This John the Baptist had disciples. He was a trailblazer. He was a front runner. He went ahead of Jesus by God's sovereign design. He had disciples. He had a following. And scripture, as we'll look at in a minute in John 3, tells us that it was John the Baptist who baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. And after this, Jesus had disciples. After this, people began to follow him. He was the popular one after this. And in this story, we'll see that the disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, came up to him and said, hey, he's becoming more popular than you. Wait, you baptized him, but he's becoming more important than you. And they concluded, if we're your disciples and Jesus had disciples and Jesus is becoming more important than you, John the Baptist, then that means we are less important. If you're less important, then we are less important. Let's look at that story in John chapter three. John three and verse 26 to 30. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete, and I love verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. So you see what we were talking about there. Jesus shows up on the scene. John the Baptist had been saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He sees Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. He knew he was centered. He was moving towards security, understanding his identity, his value, his mission, but the guys around him didn't. They had fallen into the comparison trap. Envy, likely exhaustion. They were in the land of Ur and they were feeling like they were not getting their share. They were saying, hey, John the Baptist, we need to ramp up our game so we can reclaim the share of the market. But I love John the Baptist's response. Guys, I want this to be more a part of my life. When we live this way, when we move away from comparison and we center ourselves in who we are in Christ, look, for me, I'm a better person. I'm a better pastor, better husband, better father, better friend, better in every way if I could just center myself as John the Baptist was. 
Notice the beauty of this. From verse 27, there's, there's a wonderful phrase in each of these passages, verse 27 through 30. He first uh, says that, you know, you don't receive anything unless it's given to you from heaven. I began to really understand the gospel years ago when I drew a contrast, a healthy comparison, if you will, between receive and achieve receive no matter what you can achieve in life and all of us are are aspiring to achieve something we all have ambitions not all a bad thing I want to achieve I want to achieve more but receiving the good news of Jesus is far greater than anything that I can achieve and John the Baptist is centered in that he says we can't receive one thing not one thing unless it's given to us from heaven and then in verse 27 27 he says 28 he says I am not the Christ Can I tell you today, somebody needs to hear this, you're not going to know who you are unless you know who you're not. And there is a sense in all of us, James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, would later say, move away from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. To know who you are, you need to know who you're not. What are your limits and what games are you pretending? Who are you trying to become that you're not called to ever become? And here John the Baptist is saying, I am not the Christ, but verse 29, he says who he is. He says he is the bridegroom. I want to put that Hebrew word up there. It means friend of the bride, and you see it now on the screen for just a second. This is this is the word. Uh, this now he's hearkening back to Hebrew culture of the weddings and the festivals. And here, this this role, this word stands for friend of the groom, the the bridegroom. And this person played a variety of ceremonial functions, support functions. Remember, he is the friend of the groom. Part of what he played, the final task on wedding weekend, is he would stand guard. He would stand out by the bride's tent. Now, depending on who was getting married and what resources they had, lighting was generally sparse. Uh, They might have had oil for their lamps. They may not have. Many times it was dark. And so the bridegroom, he would stand outside the, the, the bride's tent and then he would listen to the voice of his buddy. It's sort of a best man role with a lot of ceremonial functions. And he would stand outside the tent, making sure that no one came in except the groom when he was ready so that the groom and the bride could be alone together. And hear what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying, I'm playing my role. And I'm not going to get outside of that. And when I do, I'll lose joy. Do you know some of you are pursuing happiness? It's an American inalienable right, isn't it? To pursue happiness. But in our pursuit of happiness, we're trying to be somebody that we're not. We're reaching far. We're comparing ourselves and falling into that trap of envy and exhaustion and the land of Ur. And in that, we're missing we're missing what matters most. And what a, what a wonderful tale here. And then at the end, verse 30, he must increase so that I might decrease. When ego gets inflated, misery comes. Me and my guys, my two sons have been watching the Michael Jordan special on ESPN. Again, there's not live sports, so we've been watching this. And we watched episodes seven and eight this past Sunday night. And there's a scene where uh, at the end of the game, this is when Jordan had gone to baseball. He had retired the first time and gone to play baseball. And the Phil Jackson, the Chicago Bulls were a good team. They went into the playoffs. They were playing the New York Knicks. It was a crucial game, a game of elimination. And they were actually running the triangle offense really well without Michael Jordan. And many fans were thinking they could go far even without him. And 
at a critical moment in the game on the bench, Coach Phil Jackson called a play. There was like 2.7 seconds left. They had a shot to, to beat the Knicks. They were going to go to Scottie Pippen, you would think. But Phil Jackson drew up a play to Croatian Tony Kukoc. And Kukoc um, would go in. The play would be called to him, but Scottie Pippen did not leave the bench. He told teammate Bill Cartwright, I'm not going in. You're not going in. You're one of the key players. You're a decoy. Everybody thinks you're going to shoot it. You're going to help the other guy make his shot. He said, I'm not going in. And Scottie Pippen probably, at the low point of his professional career, made a big mistake. He thought of himself. I loved how the Last Dance episode depicted this story. Bill Cartwright, one of, the, one of his teammates, got angry and emotional, even teared up after the game and called Scotty out. He rebuked him, he confronted him, and said, man, you're not bigger than the team. You know, that is in the gospel. That's a part of the gospel, that in following Jesus, we would realize it's the ultimate team sport, that we are to play a part in it. And some of us, we hurt ourselves. We hurt ourselves professionally and relationally in so many ways. We're trying to be somebody we're not, and we're trying to always be in the chief seat. And we need to learn, and that's a beautiful part of this story. What we don't see with Cain in the Cain and Abel story, what we don't see with King Saul in the King Saul and David story, we see in John the Baptist in the John the Baptist and Jesus story. As we close, I want to close with another man named John, not John the Baptist, but the disciple John, who called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. There were the 12, and there were the three, Peter, James, and John. And John said, hey, no amount of success, nothing I've achieved matters. I just want to be known as the disciple that Jesus loved. That's all that matters. And we learn from Scripture that Peter and John had this type of friendship. They both ran to the tomb. Now, who got there first? The women got there first. The women always win, ultimately, the big, the big prize, right? The women got there first, but Scripture tells us there was an actual foot race to the tomb of Jesus post-resurrection, and John won the foot race. And then we see in John 21 that, that John noticed Jesus before Peter did. And he said, look, and Peter followed John going, yes, that's Christ. That's the risen Savior. And into this, we see we see a, a conversation with Peter and Jesus. Take a look at it now in John 21. John 21, verse 21 and 22. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Think of those two questions. Peter asked, what about this man? What about John, the one who outran him, the one who recognized Jesus first? Peter said, what about this man? What about, what about him? And Jesus responds, what is that to you? You follow me. Listen, your, your only entrance to heaven, yours and mine, is God forgiving us. But when you get to heaven one day, you're not going to be judged on the talents that you didn't have or the opportunities uh, that weren't afforded to you, you will be judged on the life that you were given and what you did. In following Jesus, we need to be careful. We need to be careful about the trap of comparison. It sucks the joy out of us. Remember, remember the memory verse, Proverbs 14 and verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy 
rots the bones. I want to ask you to bow, if you would. I'm going to, I want to, as we move toward worship and prayer, I want to ask you to consider a few questions related to letting go of comparison. Would you ask yourself this morning, what is your greatest ambition in life right now? And what are you doing to pursue it? Is that ambition motivated at all by comparing yourself to others? Are you exhausted or broke from trying to achieve? Is there anyone you secretly enjoy seeing fail? What is one thing you can do this week to allow the thought of tranquility, contentment, to help you pause in the midst of comparisons? Let me pray for us now. Father, we, we lift up the power of this truth. We lift up this um, reality that we need in greater measure in our lives. Lord, we're ambitious people and that can be so good. And we look around, we're taught to, from our childhood, where do we fit, what percentile? We compare ourselves and compare ourselves. And while it's inevitable and can be helpful and healthy, in so many ways, it's not. It's an indoor sport where there's a, it's always lose-lose. And we find ourselves moving toward envy and toward exhaustion. So God, I pray that you help us, like John the Baptist, Lord, that we would be willing to decrease so that you and your work could increase in our lives. Protect us from the trap of comparison, from bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Lord, would your gospel be truer and truer in us. In Christ, amen.